In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. They're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Would you like to begin today with an interesting zoological problem? I have a problem with zoological. (laughs) Box checked. In an ordinary year, some of our listeners know that a few of us here in Colorado supplement our hunted game with deer that get hit by cars. Yeah, yeah, you roadkill harvesters. I prefer to call them car-killed deer. Because when we say roadkill, everyone imagines Uh, the magpie that's been turned into jerky. And that's gross that you eat that. Save you some time. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a kind of person I admire that I've found everywhere in the world who has noticed, uh, wait a second, if this perfect large ungulate dies to a fatal headshot, somebody should do something with that. There's a sacramental value in making life out of that death and that there's something that shouldn't have happened, animals being killed by people driving cars that gets transformed into the life of a family. The actual reality of the body of an animal that gets hit by a car is often very clean and in many ways more clean than some of the shots people take when they're hunting them. There's this animal that's been freshly killed by a car and you're like, and now that bounty is coming into my home and I'm going to serve it to guests without telling them where it came from. I know it's about you. That is the morally ambiguous part, I guess. But the point in today's podcast is that in an ordinary winter, I will at least check out, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 deer that get killed by cars. Guess how many I've found this winter? Very few. Zero. Zero. And another guy, zero. And Padre, zero. And go. What's the theory? Well, I want to know what your theory is. The wolves have moved in. No, really? it's not a real oh, theory. Man. No, wouldn't that, that, would, that would be awesome. No, it wouldn't be awesome. Being the parent of a two-year-old, that's the last thing I want running around my front yard. I, your picture of wolf behavior is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they come out in the middle of the day to take the roadkill. I don't know why, but I'm curious as to how this relates to what we're talking about today. I think it's interesting for... I hope you find a way that it connects. Most people to go, where where have all the deer gone? Has their migration pattern changed? That's unlikely. Uh, Are all the ones who didn't know about roads cold from the population? Possible, but I don't know. Uh, Was the center of the mule deer rut somewhere else? I've seen roadkill deer, so I don't know what's going on. Insufficient snow? I think you've talked about it before, and so there's more people doing this. That's kind of, that's another theory. But Morgan would tell this story of a young kid praying that daddy would get her roadkill deer, and Morgan struck by sort of the absurdity of that, and also the beauty of it, and also that it revealed just how often he talks about it, and 
relies upon it. And so it seems like we've kind of come full circle because there was a bounty there for a while. There was. And here's how it connects is that sudden. I, just, I, I mean, we're four minutes into talking about this and I can't believe how like normal we're trying to <laughs> pretend like this is. It's not normal. It's not. Everybody does it. Nope. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> not even here. Everybody around the world. Mm. And this feels like it unites me with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who if they came upon a dead animal in the wild, would for sure go check it out and be like, how did this die? Can we eat it? Is it salvageable? So that's another way I'm like the patriarchs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. It what's, actually, what's the first way? Well, it is this joyful interruption of the everyday that I have many years come to rely on to kind of remind me that there are things that are additional to my everyday life that I really love. And so being a roadkill hunter is awesome because you never know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, all these incredible whole pieces of meat that you can do interesting charcuterie with and dry curing and there are recipes that require particular muscles so you can only make them a couple times a year and it's like oh my gosh I forgot that I loved this I, I have a hunch that most roadkill harvesters are just making burger that's their problem okay I've only one time turned a roadkill deer into burger huh at times I've turned it into normal stuff burger's pretty normal <laughs> to be fair <laughs> But I like the disruption piece that you're alluding to, you're talking about, that there's this um, direction you see yourself going in the morning, i.e. getting to work on time, um, trying to help your wife start the day, and then out of the blue, out of left field, becomes this unexpected thing in the form of an animal that you see the value of its meat and want to use, and your day takes a hard left turn. For the sake of joy and life. Am I hearing you right? You are. Which is a flawless segue into our conversation this morning that's about dreams. For those of you that didn't just bail out in five minutes of roadkill <laughs> conversation, nice job. <laughs> Welcome. We're now going to talk about dreams and the things that get in the way of dreams, which are surprising things. Mm, like what, Sam? So actually, one of the things that comes to mind for how things are unexpected and get in the way of dreaming. One of them for me is actually maintaining. Mm. Like dad will make this joke about um, his <laughs> uh, drug days where a, a cop would come by and they'd all be like muttering to each other, like maintain, maintain. <laughs> but that's become kind of a joke that applies across the board where it's this idea that I need to be living in a certain way being a good dad, being a good coworker, being a good husband, being a good friend. And that is actually like one of the ruts that we often have to talk about at boot camps of be very careful of the rut of, or the temptation to just be a good man because that's very isolated. It's motivated by your good heart, but you end up relying totally on yourself and getting in this place of, I need to live this way. I need to maintain this trajectory and therefore anything that sort of disrupts that is going to be a problem. And what's surprising is 
dreams would actually disrupt that if you were to honestly evaluate how oh, you're doing yeah. and what's on the horizon to kind of be like, what do you think about this? Be like, no, 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 just don't do that to me right now. I am just trying to get through today. And then it's been five years. So the banner that I would put over this conversation is dreaming is a characteristic activity of a whole heart. And most people would agree with that. Dreaming and that further dreaming is key to a vibrant life with God. Mm. That's the banner. I'm kind of interested though in that you've made this observation before. Dreaming is painful or dreaming gets tied up with pain. I make a lot of observations that are quite profound, um, but I flesh this one out for me. Dreaming can be painful. Actually, I want you to, I want you to flesh it out for me. Oh, I need I like you to give that. me a little bit more. Well, I would go Get like me back this. in my own head here. I'm going to take you there. Woo! So a while ago, there was some communal momentum with some of our friends around dreaming. And in the way that God does, he was bringing up that theme simultaneously. Huh. From multiple angles. Uh-huh. And one of the things that you observed from sort of your, your count, you know, like the counselor, uh, observe the patterns of the human heart background mm-hmm. was, oh man, if we are actually going to uh, like stir up dreams in people, we actually have to tell them that dreaming may be a site of desolation. Mm. Yep. Yep. When we touched on this too, uh, as we were reflecting back in Advent, that we started talking about the week of hope and all of a sudden the whole room was in tears. And mind you, not the good kind of tears, not like the, oh, hope is so beautiful. I can't wait for these things. It was like, I am living in hopelessness. So there's that piece of dreaming and lost dreams and the ways that we get assaulted just by being alive. And you have like small, small dreams, small visions as a kid and they get crushed a thousand more times than they get seen. And I think of this time, I have this vivid memory. We are at the checkout aisle of Safeway and we had been somewhere else, and we walked back over to the automated um, conveyor, and I saw that mom had picked out these snacks that she never did. Like, we didn't have a lot at that time, and they were those little, like, uh, croutons that you dip into cheese, like snackables. Oh, yeah. And I was so excited because I, I pulled them off, like, the conveyor. I'm like, Mom, this is amazing. We're getting these. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Only to have the awkward moment as I look at Mom's face and realize I have grabbed something from the lady in front of us in line. And that, oh, that actually geez. isn't in our cart. And have that moment of, like, I hadn't mentioned to her, I don't remember mentioning to her that we liked those things or wanted those things, just know that we never got them. And there they were. And there was this excitement met swiftly with this embarrassment, shame, disappointment over a Lunchable, like not a big deal. I'm 30. I still remember this moment. And so there is something to that theme for me of shame, embarrassment being met in the place of dreaming rather than the answer being met. 
that I know I'm not alone in. And so to go, yeah, as you begin talking about dreams, it is easier to bury your head, put your nose to the grindstone and not talk about those sorts of things because actually you will be opening up a lot of places where they haven't been met, which go all the way back. Wow. I feel like we should clarify that when we say dreams, we're not talking about sleep pictures, talking about aspirations, talking about desire. The rebellion? <laughs> uh, well, exactly. Saw Guerrera. Save the rebellion. Save the dream. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Maximus, there was a dream that was Rome. It shall be realized. Right. But linking those things together of, okay, we are non-repeatable image bearers of God, to borrow a phrase from a friend. And when we are seen, we risk being shamed. And one of the ways that we carry a non-repeatable part of God's heart is that we carry God's heart for the future in a way that no one else does. We see an opportunity in creation no one else sees. And to have that be beheld risks being scorned. And, and that's all, so it all is bundled together. Uh, one, that if, like me, you are averse to being beheld, it will be very hard to dream uh, or to move in the direction of your dreams because that will make me be seen. And totally. you know, just to kind of rewind and go, wow, to push into this territory of uh, of dreaming, of desiring into the future, of having an alive heart, you do have to sort of stop by the shame station and <laughs> go, hey, how am I doing with shame? Rescue all those young places that had got stuck there. I would also throw in here that there's a difference that's obvious between dreaming and looking for relief into the future in things. There's, I definitely am guilty of this as well, but around this time of year, we've just left behind the season of the holidays, which good, bad, whatever, there was a lot of expectancy probably in that time. And now here in the northwest of the world, we're in the long dark where it's easy for me to begin throwing myself into the future in my mind to moments I'm looking forward to. And that is very different than dreaming because those can be tools of escape and relief. And they're not actually the same kind of dream either. Mm. Like me looking forward to summer can be a kind of dreaming, but I think the fruit is very different. Like what am I going to it for and what's it producing? I'm going to those memories or those ideas right now to escape my present moment and to hope for something that's going to be better and idyllic and doesn't actually exist that moment. And then there's a dream that is that moment as I'm interacting with my kids, that moment as I'm interacting with friends, like this dream that is fuller because it sees those around. It sees this, uh, this piece. I wrote down this quote from Roger Thompson because I was flipping through his book, who we had on the podcast a while ago. Uh, The quote reads, a boy's dream is for himself. A man's dream is for others. It comes from the wild within and the wild is ever expanding. That's a great way for me to like differentiate between the projecting moments I'll have right now to summer where I am by a pool with a beer in hand 
or summer with my family and friends and there's this abundance and that requires work now. Like that requires my involvement and pulling out my kids' hearts now rather than just waiting for that thing to happen. This is like a very helpful, as you're thinking about dreaming, you're like, I'm not a very gifted person in that. Well, you, you might be. You might just have a lot of friends who are very gifted at projecting themselves in the future. Yes. There are a few people in every friend group or community of any kind who seem to be especially gifted with reaching into the future and all and I think it's meant to be positive so to frame it here in a positive sense but to go wow even the faculty of dreaming and desire is subject to comparison uh yes if you are friends with the person who loves to start businesses and can think of what the city will be like when it's in place and loves to think about experiences they want for their marriage and places they'd like to see you could come to the conclusion that, wow, you're just not a very big dreamer. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. This is in the fabric of your being. You are a desiring, dreaming being with a heart that is meant to pull something that no one else sees out of creation. As an example, I think it's interesting to read the characters in the Bible as the stories about different characters, especially the Old Testament, as a set of dreams, a set of desires for the future, being called to by God, and then being worked out in the crazy story that unfolds when you move into the territory of the dream. Abraham, you want to be a family man? Wouldn't you love to have kids? Wouldn't you love to be a dad? And be like, yes, I would. Yes, that speaks to my heart. Oh, man. And then to go, okay, well, that's not going to be satisfied for whatever the next 50, 60 years. And go, oh, you called my heart to life just to make it suffer more? Forget this. Mm. Uh, such that when the dream is actually about to be realized, it has to be totally blown back into life again. For me, which totally extinguished where it's something that you laugh at instead of cry about mm. and then just advance character to character and go oh but Joseph who literally has visionary dreams and let's cast it in his best sense but I had this dream of God's ideal for the universe being realized in our family where the least likely person is set in authority overall to their benefit, and everyone is flourishing. And they go, we don't like it. You're a slave now. And move forward. And, oh, this one's potent. How about Jacob, a.k.a. Israel? The dream is so much to see Canaan that he makes his son's promise when he knows that he won't. Uh, Take my bones with you. When you go to the promised land, I want, like, I want my bones to be laying there and go, whoa, Hmm. that actually kind of speaks to someone who is still alive in spite of the death of their dream or who has some vision about the way that it works where it goes, I'm not going to see it. I know that now. And yet I am not ashamed to tell you that it is the only thing that I want. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you that by asking you to actually carry my body there. Uh, and they do. And you could go all the way through the story, the dream of a kingdom, the dream of a king, the dream of a temple, the dream of getting to go back to your home. And it just goes, wow. So God calls to people in their desire. It's one of the ways he actually calls them into the story he would like them to live. And then it ends up being really complicated and sometimes difficult. And here's where my big, I've got maybe two big things in the way of dreaming. And one is, I'm in Jesus. I want your story. And so I want to live the story that you are calling me into as though that would be different than the story that I dreamed of. But I can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it can be messy working it out. That's fine. I just want to follow you, which is true. But what I'm actually doing is taking dreaming off the table as something that God has access to. Yeah, totally. And I can see that as a kind of self-protection, avoiding something that seems complicated and go, mm. uh, you know, a dream is a way into following God. But then that requires the death of the dream. So if you just want to follow God, maybe you can get the same thing, but without as much difficulty and go, that would be hard because how would God speak to you about what you were for if it weren't in the territory of dreams? Mm. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some definite thought given to that as I am lost in the curly cue of trying to somehow outmaneuver God's involvement <laughs> in your dreams. I'll just won't bring those along for the trip then and this will be fine. There's a gal in our community who I've heard say on a couple of occasions, like, now all of my dreams are dead, and therefore I'm a better tool for being open to what God has in mind. And it's a horrible, horrible, heartbreaking understanding of the way that God experiences your dreams and this idea of like, you must be this empty vessel that he then just can inhabit and redirect. I remember reading dad's book on desire and just how profound and helpful it was that you are an image bearer of God. You have these places in you. He desires some of the same things, many of the same things. I have a caveat on not all of the same things because some of your desires, some of my desires may be very flesh, very broken oriented. It may be like, I want to be a rock star in a stadium and have everybody screaming my name. You're like, oh, so you want to be on stage and be totally worshiped and have massive success and not need anybody. I don't know that that's how that's going to work out for you. Um, That's why it's not all dreams. But I totally, like I genuinely believe that God has put some of those in you and you are meant to use them and partner with them and have those be these orienting pieces. And to have them come back to light can be a very painful experience is a practice of wholeheartedness. And I think in this particular season, as we were talking about this podcast, we do see there's like this almost like tiger pit in the way that you might not know is there. You're like, I'm going towards dreams. I'm going to walk in this direction. And then you just, the ground falls out and you end up in this pit. That is that thing I mentioned earlier on like maintaining or being a certain way keeping your world upright seems to actually have you give up dreams seems to have those like those go on the back burner and instead I'm going to like move in this direction towards good things like providing for my family um, 
being a good man, you name it. But actually it is that like, I'm looking at the ground three inches from my face rather than the very painful experience of, I want to have a family. I might not have a family right now. And to continue holding that is like holding a hot coal. Why would you have me continue to hold that? Can I just set that down for a while until I'm closer to it? And therefore it's a shorter experience of burning and pain. It's like, uh, maybe there's a kindness there that you're not meant to just fixate on it if it's not what the season's about. But also I don't think you have the permission to fully drop it and the part of your heart that goes with it and your understanding of God that's attached to it and pretend like you can just saunter off and everything be hunky-dory. It's like, uh, uh. Yes, you will mm. love God with something besides your whole heart. Right. There's an idea. Three-fourths, which then becomes a half, which then be quickly becomes a sliver. Oh, man. <laughs> it can't be overstated that... Uh, there is a pattern in dreaming, and it's not, I had this dream, and then with God, I brought it to life, and it was awesome. Actually, with the human heart as the center of the story, you can't skip the stage of the restoration of your whole being. And in order to get into that incredible future, this thing has to happen of working through the death of the dream, which is its whole topic on its own, right? I actually cannot think of an example that is not like this, where there's the dream. Wait, wait, wait. Before you give me just like a 30,000-foot example, what's an example example? What's a thing that you have a dream of that you're moving towards and how to cycle on? Oh, I'm like, oh, man, what can I freaking pick? How about having a second kid? How about owning a house in a neighborhood where... A couple of folks in our church felt called together. How about one we haven't heard before? I mean, this is from... <laughs> and don't make it roadkill. I actually have a super abundance of these because I go, I kind of think that for, on the micro to the macro level, this like keeps applying where the shed in my backyard was dream, death of the dream, birth of the dream. My The landscaping my house was dream, death of the dream, birth of the dream. Has it come um, back to birth of a dream on that one? That one is actually really interesting because um, I did finish in the middle of December. <laughs> we got a string of warp days. But that one intersects with talking through this with my wife and her going, really thinking that she's someone who I just don't think like that I dream because I people talk about the things that they dream of and it is and it's I just don't feel that way. And then she goes into the riff. What I want, and I'm like, oh my gosh, here it comes. There's like, she's like, I want the plants around our house to be flourishing, and I want to plant trees on that bare hillside, and I want to. And all of a sudden, the ways that I regularly crush my wife's dream without realizing <laughs> are like show up where I go like, because mm. my mind goes like, that hill is not good for trees, and that's a lot of money, and is that really a priority to us? But I'm like. Oh my gosh, part of your problem is me. Um, totally. Not recognizing this is the part of God's heart for the future you carry. Not just a way for you to feel uh, inadequate. And right. Not just something you like <laughs> or think would be cool. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, you you know, I'm here, I'm simultaneously like encouraging my wife to dream while like, but let's not talk about that other thing. Thinking that her dreams will be like, 
what if we built an addition on the house and blank? Or what if we started a something? Or what if there was a, and just went, oh, the things that seem tiring to me, like bringing in a bunch of better soil for all the gardens. <laughs> I'm like, you are actually showing the world something about God's heart and moving towards that? Crap. Okay. Yes. So landscaping is very much back on the table. <laughs> like, That's good. Part of my landscaping vision was a was actually a majority of my t- tiny little property that didn't need very much attention from me. Um, and that motive is not compatible with a wife whose dream is deeply be investing in this tiny bit of property we own. So I'm like, okay, totally. there's going to be a phase two. It's going to be better. Um so there's the death of your dream, Emily. Your husband's landscaping. <laughs> um, a really simple one is after we took a guide trip to Moab this summer and and after so much inability to exercise and so many injuries, there was like, um, wow, I love mountain biking. I'm going to push into this and I'm going to get the rest of the gear that I need. And then actually in August... I mountain biked a mountain with a friend, and it was awesome. And then between August and three days ago, I it is in, insane. Every component, every one, has broken on my mountain bike, one after the other, such that I've gone on maybe three rides. And the weather is nice in August, September, October. We get nice days in November. We get nice days in December. So we're like, wow, this is a teensy tiny, like, oh, my heart exercise a little, a little bit of wilderness and go, even that Hmm. works through the territory of, but your bike was fixed the other day. So we went for a ride, except that, and then we hit, and then it turned out it was still totally icy. And I was like, every trail was full of ice and I crashed in the first 30 seconds and we went home what is the deal? And go, oh, um, there's a lot of pieces. And like, there's the opposition of the enemy. There is God forming resolve in you so that you can actually handle your dream. There's the process of then, you know, in Morgan's term, becoming the person who can do that. There is the reality across the New Testament of uh, these, this present difficulty produces perseverance, character, hope. And, you know, that's not always just put in like, the one order it is in wherever it is in Romans, but it does end with, and these things produce a hope that does not disappoint and go, oh, this is actually so that you get the thing that satisfies the human soul, which you then get to share with other people. And it's not cheap and it's not easy. So no wonder so few people that I know are like really leaning into the dream factory. And I do know people who are, and it's hard. So I'm convinced that happiness is on the other side of me being the correct version of myself. I've had very different distillations of this concept. Sometimes happiness is on the other side of a smart bike trainer. So if any of you guys work for uh, Wahoo or Peloton, just uh, give me a shout out and help me out here. But... um, there's been times where happiness is on the other side of a, a more scheduled life. Because if I have a more scheduled life, if my life isn't running me, then I'll have the ability to take care of the things that feel like I'm failing. I walk around my house and just see all of the old holes from places we had hung pictures that we've since changed around and I haven't gotten around to like fixing 
and plugging and painting. And so our house just looks like Swiss cheese to me. And it doesn't at all look like that to anybody else, I hope. Susie tells me that's the case. But there's been moments where that feels like what's on the other side of happiness and contentment, just being a little bit more ordered. These days, I think it's just a little bit more honesty of like, contentment and happiness is on the other side of me being the right version of me who Mm. spends time with God correctly and then works towards dreams, which for me this year really are in the form of writing and doesn't, I don't get like pulled out to sea by schedule and and small work thing and bop, 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 bop. Like there's just a mountain of tiny little marbles that I seem to be on the bottom of. And it's actually not dreaming to be like, if I can just get to boom, then I will. Like another way of phrasing it is, if I can get my life in better shape or if I can get myself more ordered, then I will begin to dream. Then I will begin to dream because I will be realizing dreams. And it's easier to dream if the realization of the dream is very quickly following the dream itself. And it's like, oh gosh, I just feel so young and weak and fragile to be like, I will dream so long as I then get to open the present and on the inside of the present is the thing I just dreamed for. I don't want to dream if I have to wait very long for it because that's just too hard. Oh. I just go, blah. Right. Let's admit less painful truths. And yet that's true. I go, oh, yes. Um, But the phrase that came to mind as you were sharing was, I could patch over my disappointment, like my life would be better. And it's helpful to hear a different person's version of that. Because mine, you know, mine can be like, uh, if my garage were organized and I had the time with God that I was hoping to get, and we had a system in the kitchen that kept the kitchen clean more often, and if that work that needed to be done to my CRV were done and my motorcycle were fixed, right? And and I go, actually, all of those are things that just feel disappointing or irritating or embarrassing and patching it over. I I know is not, there, there is going to be no change. Because one of the things is, is I spent a lot of the summer actually chasing those minor fixes. Mm, oh, yeah. And Jesus really had to point out to me, like, are you satisfied on the other side of 40 hours of, of work around kind of the house? Like, I'm like, no, why not? And mm. to go, maybe that this thing that you're doing, this activity is not compatible with satisfaction. I'm like, mm. is it not? I well, really? Um, and then it's like, oh, so like with the whole, like I will follow the ancient paths and find rest for my soul, that satisfaction is in terms of this life with God, that somehow one of the things that you're doing in that region is calling dreams back to life to actually show the state of my heart. Mm. Yeah, which is actually where I would want to leave this podcast. And if you've listened all the way through, like there's actually a probably a very helpful exercise to like, take the next five minutes and something I want to do too of um, 
where, what are the dreams that have gone dormant that you remember you, you used to have that feel far away now? And that might've been last year or five years ago. And what are the things you're doing instead of dreaming? Like what's, what do you have to do first before you'll allow yourself to dream again? There's a second question. A third question would be, what is getting evoked as you get close to dreams? Does it feel like the land of shame, of disappointment, of despair, of hopelessness? Like as you get close there and you begin opening up those places, does it feel like trying to pull a scab off an old wound and you don't want to do it? What's your reaction to trying to dream? And then I think lastly, what do you do about our assumption or assertion that to be able to dream is a sign of being wholehearted? Are you mad that Blaine said that? Or does that feel true? And therefore, are those first three questions worth wrestling through? Because there might be something on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. 